Welcome to Electric Sheep, the knitting podcast from Hoxton Handmade. Episode 9, Copyright and Wrong. Hello on this bank holiday Monday. I hope you're all enjoying the long weekend. Yet another bank holiday. They just keep on coming at this time of year. It's fantastic. If you have been listening to the show via iTunes, I can only apologise if I've been causing you mayhem. As you know, at one point, two of the episodes were out of sequence, and then somehow, I don't even know how I did it, um, one of the episodes ended up being connected to the wrong audio file, so I had to correct that. But in the course of doing all of this, they all got out of sequence completely, and then I tried to correct it, but iTunes missed episodes by the date they're published. So I had to republish everything. But then, of course, once I started doing that, it meant that if you subscribe to the podcast, it would start downloading them all again. So I'm really sorry if that's happened to you. Um, I'm just going to leave them out of sequence now because I think it's just going to annoy everybody too much if I try to fix it. Um, So I'm very sorry. On this week's show, I'm going to be talking about the rather less sunny and exciting topic of copyright. But bear with me, we're going to try and keep it vaguely interesting. Also, I'm going to be looking at a new man-made fibre that's on the market and some patterns that go with it, and generally talking about some alternatives to wool. Plus, we've had the knitting grandmas on Britain's Got Talent. We've had the crazy people knitting a village. We've had the extreme sheep herders. What could I possibly follow this up with? Well, wait and find out. I think at this point in this weather, we've moved on from tea and cake to iced tea and ice cream. But uh, whatever you're enjoying at the moment, I hope you have a spare half hour. And thank you for joining me for a few electric sheep. Over on Ravelry, I have noticed that there is one subject in the forums that can be guaranteed to whip the normally genteel discussion boards into a frenzy of hostility and recrimination. And that is copyright. You might think this is a rather dry subject for a light-hearted podcast, but really this is a tale of high drama, of fortunes made and lost, of the very foundations of our moral code. Okay, I admit, you have to really want to see it, but as the internet grows and as we use it in ever more creative ways, these issues keep raising their hands and sticking a legal spanner in the works. Take a look at your national newspapers and you'll find the Pirate Bay court case, Hugh Jackman crying foul over early copies of Wolverine and a serious publishing furor with Google. And that's before we even get started on the knitting. It just so happens that my day job involves intellectual property, so I'm accustomed to wrangling these particular issues, albeit in a different specific area. And any discussion of copyright needs to start with a few basic facts. Firstly, copyright law is not the same in every country. Unlike, say, Monaco, Ravelry is not its own principality. Ravelers are based all over the world, so when getting into a debate on the boards, it's worth checking if your sparring partner is in the same country. Obviously, I'm mostly familiar with the UK rules on these things, so forgive me if my knowledge isn't global. So, basic principles. You cannot copyright an idea. Just too messy and unmanageable. And since none of us is equipped with powers of telepathy, it's nigh on impossible to prove you thought of something before someone else. So, to document your great moment of genius, you need to write it down. It's a common misconception that you need to register the copyright in something. 
In fact, you automatically own the copyright in anything you commit to hard copy, whether it's a novel, a letter or a shopping list. And as an aside, this is why you retain the copyright in a letter even after you send it. It remains with the writer rather than the recipient. With knitting, obviously this covers the copyright of the written pattern, but it also covers the finished object as well, since that is effectively a documentation of someone's design. Like a painting or an architect's building, it's a record of a particular way someone has created something original to them. Which is why you cannot sell an object you knitted from someone else's pattern. That and the fact that you'd be profiting from the copyrighted pattern. All this is fairly obvious and I'm sure you're all with me so far. What comes next are the two issues that tend to cause the most problems and the most headlines. Distribution and adaptation. Distribution is the issue plaguing other creative industries, such as music and film. How people access copyrighted material is increasingly hard to control, mainly due to technological advances. The Pirate Bay court case is one of several high-profile examples. The Pirate Bay website did not host or sell copyrighted material itself. Rather, it was a site that told people where they could access copyright material illegally, a sort of distribution directory that made it easier for people to find the many downloads which were already out there and available. With knitting, it's less about sharing files than sharing documents, since photocopying always seems to be the demon in this case, with friends or knitting group members sharing patterns from books and magazines. Nowadays, of course, there's also the fact that a lot of us buy and download patterns as PDFs, which can be forwarded on or printed out several times at the click of a button. A lot of people don't even realise there's anything wrong with this, and even those who are aware may not think it's such a terrible crime in the grand scheme of things. In relation to many of the world's ills, this is true, but in relation to small publishing houses and freelance designers, it can make quite a difference. For every pattern you photocopy, that's one less magazine or book that will be sold in support of a niche industry. Having said that, I sometimes think that people who rant about it being theft, declaring that those doing it are stealing, are perhaps working against themselves. There's little to be gained in trying to persuade someone that a photocopied page puts them in the same circle of hell as someone who's mugged the nice old lady next door. Like those anti-piracy ads on DVDs, shouting at the viewer that pirating a film is the same as stealing a car, it's counterproductive. And in the latter case, it's particularly disingenuous from an industry that has a high-profile collection of incredibly wealthy people. Plus, it's ridiculous that they're railing against the nice consumers who've just bought the film legally. As others have said, it's almost worth getting a pirate copy just to avoid the anti-piracy ad. Finally, the industry have realised this and have started to replace it with a new ad in which they thank the viewer for not pirating the film. But with any debate on photocopying, what can also muddy the waters is the fact that there are some designers, admittedly probably some of the lower profile ones, who don't really have a problem with someone passing around a pattern. They like the idea that people are that keen on their design and would rather knit a shared a pattern than didn't knit it at all. Obviously, this doesn't change the legal side of things, but given the rarity of knitters being prosecuted for photocopying, it can make quite a difference to the general conversation. As with any misdemeanour we are likely to get away with, we all have to make our own assessment of a particular situation and decide a course of action. We all have our own moral code. Personally, I can admit that I think the odd photocopy can't hurt. If you're genuinely trying to help someone out and perhaps they need to knit a gift over the weekend and can't get to a bookshop, perhaps the book in question is out of print. Perhaps a knitting group is doing a knit-along and sharing six copies of a book between eight knitters. Who knows? 
Where I draw the line is at the routine copying or sharing of patterns. I buy online designs and knitting books fairly regularly, or I make use of free patterns on the web, and I don't think there's any real justification for feeling entitled to everything for nothing, especially since we're not often talking about high-cost items. Also, by paying for a pattern, you're acknowledging someone else's hard work. As many listeners will know, I was enjoying Woolly Stuff's blog not long ago, where she declared her intention to knit an online pattern called Bliss. Clicking through the link, I found myself swooning in front of a beautiful cabled sweater as I was overcome with a familiar compulsion. I must knit that. Although we're friends, it never occurred to me to ask Woolly Stuff to share the pattern with me. The French kit site was well organised and had a simple PayPal connection, and the pattern cost the exorbitant sum of five euros. Ten seconds later, the payment was made and the pattern was in my inbox, as I hunted through my stash like a demented knitting squirrel, trying to remember where I had buried a particularly good hazelnut. I love technology. To look at another creative analogy, there's a similar line I draw with television. In the UK, we all pay a television licence fee, which funds the mighty BBC. Now, it's not exactly cheap, about £140 a year, but it's against the law in Britain to own a television set without a licence. And, to be fair, the BBC makes some pretty damn cool stuff with my cash. I reckon David Attenborough's career makes it worth the price alone. Plus, it means I can watch an hour of television without someone trying to sell me car insurance. However, if there's something I've missed on TV and want to track it down, I'll do a search online without a second thought. Sites like YouTube have various ways of trying to ensure that copyright holders do get paid for content posted up there by someone else, or they're fairly quick to take down anything that shouldn't be there, but it's a fine line. The Britain's Got Talent Susan Boyle phenomenon has been marked by the fact that ITV took ages to get their act together and have missed out on a small fortune from the millions of downloads on YouTube. Nevertheless, online viewing has driven millions more to watch the full show on telly, and there's no escaping the staggering amount of free publicity they've had, so they're hardly losing out. But if I really want to find something I've missed in whole, rather than in clips, I'll go to the BBC's iPlayer, or find it in the iTunes store or something. And it's been shown that if you give people a legitimate way to access the material, and price it fairly, then most of us won't abuse the system. An interesting fact to bear in mind is that it's been found that people who download music through illegal file-sharing file sites, thus breaking copyright law, are actually ten times more likely to buy music legitimately. So when record companies go after these guys, they're actually prosecuting a pretty big customer base. Hardly a logical business model. We need a little give and take. A recognition that we can't turn back the tide. The way people access entertainment and information has changed forever. But long before the internet, there were plenty of people trying to get something for nothing. What's more important is to try and adapt what we're doing so that as few people as possible feel the need to circumvent the system. Make your patterns reasonably priced. Perhaps make them available both individually and as a collection, and online as well as in hard copy. As Isolde has done with her recent book. Perhaps look at the added value you're willing to supply to those who pay the fee, like pattern support. Also, find ways to remind people that this is your livelihood, your hard work, and your creative talents. We often act without thinking, or we simply aren't aware that we're doing anything wrong. Gently reminding people of your copyright can often be enough to return them to the straight and narrow. As I say, I work with so-called content providers and originators. I'm all too aware of the blood, sweat, and tears that, quite literally, go into the creative process. 
and I firmly believe that those who are the foundation point of great ideas should be properly rewarded for their talents, both in terms of a financial share in any success, but also in terms of credit. Which is why adaptation can be a tricky thing. When does your pattern turn into someone else's? Of course, it doesn't help that this is a problem on a wider professional scale in the fashion industry. High street shops are constantly taking ideas from the couture catwalks and putting them on the shelves. Every so often they are a little too blatant with this and some designer will threaten to sue, but generally it's an accepted fact that fashion feeds off itself. So if Topshop can copy a Roland Muret dress, why can't you copy someone's pattern? Well, for a start, Topshop are copying the dress, not the pattern. Theirs will be made of a different material and have a few minor alterations thrown in. Many knitters on Ravelry do a similar thing when they spot a fabulous knitted Pringle jumper and make their own version. They deconstruct it from a picture of the garment. In this case, it's more of an homage. It's for their own personal use, and it's hardly going to herald the end of civilization. As proof that Ravelers really are excellent persons, I saw that someone who had admired a cable jumper worn by Cameron Diaz in the film The Holiday actually tracked down the costume designer to try and find out more about it, not wanting to simply rip it off. If she could have bought a pattern for it, she would have. In the end, the costume designer explained it had been knitted for the film and didn't seem to have a problem with someone else reproducing it. And of course, the resulting jumper wasn't exactly the same anyway. To me, this is more in line with what a lot of crafters used to do a few decades ago as a matter of course. If you had a posh do to go to, you scoured the pages of Vogue and, having spotted the dress of your dreams, proceeded to make up a version for yourself. What is grossly unfair is when someone copies a pattern verbatim and then proceeds to sell it on another website. I've seen several cases of this highlighted on Ravelry, and that really is stealing. Not only the copyright, but also the profit that the designer should have made on those sales. But if you're adapting the pattern, making many changes as you go along, you can end up with something markedly different from the original. If you then wanted to sell the pattern, or indeed the finished garment, we're in a very grey area but I think it can only be remedied by talking to the first designer. These things have to be assessed on a case-by-case -case basis, and a lot of designers seem pleased with the fact that they have inspired others, or they're happy that they have at least been consulted. If in doubt, ask. As with any ethical consideration, discussion, research, and a good deal of thought are necessary to reach an informed decision, and in the end these questions are largely a matter of conscience, of reconciling our choices with our own personal moral code. Which naturally means that not everyone is going to agree with us, and no doubt the heated discussions on Ravelry and elsewhere will continue. But there's no doubt that the act of knitting is both an activity that gives one much time for reflection and thought, and also one that inspires a great deal of camaraderie among our fellow knitters. And for that reason, my belief is that the copyright fraudsters will never gain the upper hand. But if we don't respect our craft and the skill it involves, then how can we expect anyone else to? Knitting creates an incredibly supportive, vibrant, innovative community, and it's up to us to protect it. Moving on. Um, sorry, that was quite serious there, wasn't it? I do apologise, um, but I think it's an important issue, you know, that, that, that should be discussed further. But um, don't worry, plenty of silliness now coming to counteract that, so... Um, Fear not. Um, first of all, just to say that I um, I did see, I mentioned uh, 
the film Coraline in the last episode. I've discovered now it is Coraline, not Coraline. I was saying it wrong. Um, but I saw Coraline on Saturday. Um, if you haven't seen it yet, I do recommend it. It's brilliant. This is the stop motion animation film based on the book by Neil Gaiman. Uh, and it's written and directed by the guy who did The Nightmare Before Christmas. And um, it is fantastic, but I tell you, it is not a children's film. It is incredibly dark and twisted and really quite scary. Um, and uh, it, it opens with an incredible scene of um, this strange creature with sort of needles for hands making um, a doll. And the, it has a sort of wooden box that opens up that has all the um, equipment and all these um, metal implements and things with which to make this doll, these sewing needles and scissors and strange contraptions. Anyway, I saw from Twitter that um, uh, Amy from Nitty, the editor of Nitty, um, on her blog has mentioned the fact that she is now the proud owner of one of these boxes. I think they were a sort of limited edition collector's item. I think about, I can't remember now, I think she said about 50 of them were made. And so, and she has one of them and was thrilled when it arrived. And yes, it, it's this wooden presentation box and you open it up and it has all the implements and it has the doll and all the buttons and sort of, you know, all these bits from the film, which I think they're planning to mount on the wall and sort of display in the nitty office but I have to say it's a pretty sinister thing um, particularly when you've seen the film and it does just really get quite dark I watched it with my sister-in-law and the two of us were quite scared a couple of times we I had been planning to, to, to take my nephew to see it and in the end we decided he was too young and within about two minutes we just immediately turned to each other and thought thank god we would have given him horrific nightmares so not something for younger children um, but an excellent film nevertheless so do check it out now, as I mentioned, I've discovered that um, Rowan have brought out a new fibre. I'm not sure. It must have been out a little earlier in the year as part of their summer collection. But I hadn't seen it till I went into John Lewis a few days ago. And um, this is the Lenpure Linen. Um, and uh, according to the intro in the, in the pattern book, it's uh, a fibre made purely from plant cellulose and is produced using an eco-friendly method. Uh, the cellulose is extracted from the pruned branches of white pine which are specifically cultivated for this purpose. Um, apparently it's considered the best vegetable fibre produced by man. I didn't realise there was sort of stiff competition in this area, but apparently. Um, and uh, not only is it a renewable source, it's also biodegradable. So basically you couldn't get a more eco-friendly knitting fibre if you tried, it seems. Um, I had a look at it in, um, in uh, John Lewis, as I say, and to be fair, it does actually seem quite a nice yarn. I haven't tried knitting with it yet, um, but it comes in some really nice bright colours for the summer. Um, and I'm not really a fan of linen yarn. I think it's quite scratchy um, and quite sort of, I don't know, I don't, I don't like the feel of it at all in the ball. Um, but this is much softer and... Um, it's, it's, it's quite a nice, has an, a really nice drape to it as well, actually. One of the patterns from the, the, the Rowan book, somebody in John Lewis has, has knitted up, you know, they have it on display. Um, and it does drape really nicely. So once it's all knitted up, um, I thought it looked rather good. Um, and I think those, you know, p people who um, are allergic to wool or whatever, you know, thank God we now have many more alternatives um, apart from acrylic. So... Um, it seems we're almost spoilt for choice these days. I mean, there's everything. You can sort of some of the slightly more strange choices like banana fibre or paper. Um, but obviously bamboo is fabulous. 
um, although a little bit heavy and drapey for some things, but for the right pattern, it looks great. Um, the aforementioned linen, I'm not hugely keen on, as I say, and I have the same problem with cotton. I never seem to knit anything in cotton. It's just, it's heavy and it's stiff and yeah, it just weighs a ton, whatever you knit up with it. Um, so I don't know, maybe I'm just not trying the right cotton or I'm not trying the right patterns. If you think I'm missing out on something, do let me know. Um, and of course, acrylic has its moments, but you know, there's a lot of very strong anti-acrylic feeling out there. I think some of the nicer ones are great. I mean, particularly for children's clothes or babies' clothes, you know, it's completely washable. You don't have to worry about it. You can even, you know, some of them you can even chuck in the tumble dryer. Um, it's a bit more practical. And obviously it's a lot cheaper than wool, which is a big consideration for some knitters. So I think acrylic has its place. Um, but I think Len Pure Linen is, um, is, is a nice addition to, um, to, to, to the various options. Um, the collection book um, has, uh, that, that Rowan have brought out with this has 13 designs. Um, and I have to say, a couple of them I'm really rather taken with. Um, some of them, like a lot of summer patterns, I just find really uninspiring. They're just very plain, you know, a cropped cardigan or a sort of T-shirt shaped top that just look really quite boring um, that I'm just not hugely inspired by. And others just look a bit odd, but that's inevitable, I think, with a book. You never like all the patterns, do you? Um, but several of them I think are really rather nice. Um, one that I love is called Jada. And it's a bit, it's a sort of cross between a shrug and a shawl. It's sort of a shawl with sleeves, um, which I think is brilliant for summer when you just want something to put over your shoulders. Um, and it's in quite a nice, pretty, but very simple lace pattern. Um, and uh, I think would look great if you had a wedding to go to or something, you know, to put on over a pretty dress. Would look brilliant. Um, and from last week, you know, I'm looking for something to wear to weddings. So this is a definite possibility at the moment. My only problem is that the linen, this Len Pure linen, didn't have quite the right colour to go with my dress. But I think it's a lovely pattern. Um, another one that I really like is called Adriana. And that's um, a T-shirt outline, um, but in a really pretty open lace pattern. Um, so you'd have to wear something underneath it. But that's done in a really nice bright turquoise as well. And uh, so I really like that one. And the other one that caught my eye is called Beatriz. And it's, uh, it's, it's a jumper, a round-necked, long-sleeved jumper that, again, just has a very simple um, pattern. It's just um, uh, bands of stocking stitch alternated with bands of yarn overs. So you just get a sort of striped lace effect, um, which I thought was nice for summer. Um, it jumps to sort of just thrown over over a little tank top or something. Um, the one that they had knitted up in John Lewis was um, the Katia dress, which is a um, short sleeved, round necked Empire line lace dress, and it's very pretty. It's in bright red in the book, and um, it has a little ribbon running through the Empire line through the eyelets. And um, it's lovely. It is quite open, so you'd have to have a sort of a, a slip or something on underneath. But very pretty for summer. But bizarrely, they then have the Cassia tunic, which is the same stitch pattern, but a V-neck cropped cardigan with three-quarter sleeves, and it stops at the waist and just has a single button. But weirdly, they haven't kept the Empire line. So there is a sort of band of plain stockinette going around the middle where you have the button and everything. But instead of that being on the Empire line, you know, underneath the bust, they have that going across the bust like right across the middle of your bosom, which just looks, it just makes it look as if the top doesn't fit the model. It just looks quite peculiar. 
So I don't really understand that. So the whole thing just looks, yeah, like it's the wrong size or that you haven't quite finished knitting it. It's just a bit odd. So I'm not crazy about the cardigan version, I have to say. But the dress is very pretty. Um, the other one that's quite nice, but I'm not sure I'd actually knit it, is called Carrie. And that's a moss stitch um, sort of cardigan jacket with a single button at the front. And it has two cables along sort of what would be the button band, you know, along the edging. And then it also has a cable going from the shoulder to the elbow on the sleeves. They're, they're half-length sleeves. And it has a single cable that just runs down the centre of each sleeve. And then it's quite sweet. At the, the, at the, towards the bottom, the cable stops, but the stockinette stitch keeps going. So it just sort of fans out um, at the bottom of the sleeve, which looks quite pretty. So I like the sleeve, but I'm not really crazy about the rest of the jacket. But, um, but no, but I was quite pleased. I thought several patterns that I would have a go with. Sorry, that's classic. I don't know if you could hear that, but that, that was half of the book just falling apart as I was attempting to turn the page. So um, that's very annoying for a book that I bought two days ago, um, that the binding, the sort of glue at the back has now come undone so that half of the pages have just fallen out, um, which isn't useful for a practical book where, of course, you're going to, you know, open it and flatten it out so that you can follow the pattern properly. But in doing so, all the binding has now come undone. Um, so very nice patterns, sadly, a poorly constructed book. But uh, not to worry, at least we've still got the patterns. That's the important thing. But I do definitely find summer knitting a challenge. I find it hard to, to see, you know, to find the patterns that, that, that you like and, um, and to find the materials to use. As I say, if you don't like cotton, it does slightly narrow down the options or you're left with something like, I don't know, silk that's incredibly expensive. So anybody who has any tips on either yarn to try or patterns to try for summer knitting, any gems you have come across where you've knitted up a pattern and you find you wear it every summer. I would love to know about. Winter knitting, I, you know, my queue is about six miles long. But summer knitting gets quite tricky and it's a shame not to have nice things to A, to knit in the heat and B, to wear um, when the weather gets warmer. So I, I, that's one side of my knitting wardrobe I would like to extend. So any tips, do let me know. Hoxtonhandmade at gmail.com. As I was saying, we've had... Uh, we, we had the extreme sheep herders, um, we've had the crazy grandmas with the knitted village, we've had the crazy grandmas on Britain's Got Talent. What else could there possibly be? Well, the long, hard fight to make knitting seem a little bit less quirky or downright weird to non-knitters um, is stumbling at another hurdle, it seems. Thanks to people on Twitter, um, I've been alerted to a video on YouTube which just has one of the most bizarre and pointless activities I've ever seen. Um, it's a short video, you'll be pleased to know, um, of a young gentleman at a drum kit, drumming. Nothing so unusual in that, perhaps, except that instead of drum, drumming sticks, um, he has knitting needles. Um, and there is actual knitting on the needles. He's knitting a scarf. And he knits and drums at the same time. I just find the, the word why becomes inadequate at this point. I mean, why, for the love of God, is this necessary? Um, the fact that he's, he, you know, somebody's videoed him doing it as well. He looks miserable, apart from anything else. He doesn't really look like he's having a lot of fun doing it, which is a shame. Um, if you're going to go to all that trouble, um, you know, enjoy it a little bit. Or give us some indication of, of why you're doing this. Why is this necessary in life? Um, what's also quite disappointing is that he is both knitting and drumming very poorly, particularly the drumming. There's no um, uh, consistency to the rhythm 
or, you know, the sort of pattern, the sounds he's building up. It's just kind of randomly hitting a drum kit in different ways as you're trying to knit a scarf. And it, it's just ridiculous. Um, so although I'm all in favour of, you know, another bloke knitting in public, good on him. You know, we need to raise the fact that um, many more men knit than is commonly perceived. And that's a good thing. And um, there's no reason why drummers shouldn't knit. You know, I'm very glad. He's, it looks like a very nice scarf he's making there. Um, but why combine it with the drumming? Bizarre activity. I can't really see this catching on. I don't think you're going to go to some you know, huge gig at Wembley Stadium and discover that the drummer at the back of the band is there, busy knitting away. Although that would be quite funny. I'd like to see a guitarist give it a try as well. Maybe there's, maybe that's the thing. Maybe you need to combine it with different instruments and have a, a knitting musical band. But again, it's like with the Britain's Got Talent. I just think knitting is not a spectator sport. It's not visually entertaining to watch it happen, you know? So why try and combine it with these things? It's just quite peculiar. Um, but anyway, I mean, further proving the fact that there is nothing people won't put on YouTube. And uh, some people just go a bit crazy. You do anything in front of a camera. It's the only reason I can think of why somebody would do that. But uh, so there you are. Another one to add to the rather weird knitting archives. If you come across anything else that, that is uh, knitting and peculiar, I would love to see it. So do let me know. I don't see how I'm going to be able to top the knitting drummer, so I think I'd better leave it there for this week. Um, as ever, thank you very much for listening, and uh, I hope you have an excellent week ahead. And uh, if you have anything you would uh, like to tell me about as far as knitting and online activities go, or if you have any feedback for the podcast, please do get in touch. HoxtonHandmade at gmail.com. I'm also HoxtonHandmade on Twitter and Hoxton on Ravelry. So please do look me up, say hello. I would love to hear from you. Plus, if there's anything in particular you would like to hear more about, if there's something you think should be discussed on Electric Sheep, then do let me know. I would love to have some suggestions or um, point out some things to me uh, that I should take a look at. That would be great. But until next time, happy knitting and thanks for listening. <laughs>